Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos. It's a pleasure to be with you this month. You know, what's interesting is, you know, we're already two months into the year. We're in the month of March. Um, you know, we want to kind of look at it. You know, we just had another little snowstorm on Monday, kind of set us back. But regardless of the weather, time is moving quicker and quicker than we could possibly think. And as we talk about the concept of responsible wealth, our message today is really going to help to ground people in why they should start doing something today. You know, we were talking about what I refer to as the three R's. Uh, three R's are as it relates to money, which is your rate of savings, rates of return, rates of distribution. And it was really within the context of know the state of your flocks. And over the last several weeks, our guest host, Dave Suki, has been with us. And Dave is with us again today. So, Dave, welcome. Pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Frank. Pleasure to be here. And the last shows that we did raised some questions that we have some feedback from that we'd like to share with you this week so that we can, you know, kind of as we wrap up, you know, the three R's, which is, you know, again, rate of savings, rate of return, rate of distribution. Hopefully this show, by answering the questions, will bring some of this all together for everyone and that it can give them some real clarity on what, you know, what they should be doing. So the first question that we have uh, that's come up is, What's the rate of savings that I should be looking to accomplish? And maybe, Dave, I'll let you just take a few minutes and maybe spend a little time on why the savings rate is so important and you know what it should be. Yeah. So, Frank, when you say the rate of savings, it's um, what we would consider the, um, the amount of money you save per year as compared to the amount of money you earn per year. So um, over time, research, right, our, our experience – a healthy financial person or have a healthy balance sheet would consistently have somebody saving 15 to 20 percent of whatever they earned in a given year. So if they earned $100,000, they would be setting aside 15 to $20,000 a year. And people give the question, was well, that gross or net? Well, I would say strive for gross. And if you get as, you know, as close as you can to that, that would be optimum. All right. So yeah, it would really be off of the gross number. You know, as Dave, is when I was looking at that question and you know, I knew that you were going to take uh, the lead on that, you know, you know me, I'm a little bit of an analytical nerd sometimes, so I took my calculator out. And one of the things I think that people wonder is, well, I can always start tomorrow. And starting tomorrow, if we do that long enough, costs us a lot of money and it puts a lot more pressure on us. So for our listeners, I put together a little example of why you have to start as early as you can and if you have uh, young adult children, okay, and well, that's kind of an oxymoron because <laughs> it wouldn't be young adult children. But if you have some of your children who are young adults and you really want to coach them in their lives, you would really be best served to convince them to start saving early. So I put together a little example. I did a 30-year run of funds. And in the 30-year run, what I assumed is that we'd get a 6% rate of return. So I give an example of two people that save money. The first person that saves puts away $10,000 a year for 10 years and never made another contribution again for the remaining 20 years. At the end of 20 years, that person would have $448,000. Now that's, by the way, for compliance purposes, we're not saying that that's any set investment or anything else. It's just an example of how money and numbers work, which is $10,000 deposit, 10 years, 
at the end of 10 years, never make another deposit, comes back 20 years later, that account's worth $448,000. Now we're going to have the other person who procrastinated the first 10 years. They were too busy. They were buying a house. They were buying cars. They were busy. They saved nothing for the first 10 years, but they got real serious, and they saved 10000 a year for the next 20. So the first person put away a total of 100000 10000 for the first 10, never put away another. Mm-hmm. The second person that did nothing for 10 years, but then got serious after that and put away 10000 a year for 20 years, that person at the end of the 20 years, which is 30 years later, has $389,000. They have less money, and significantly less, by the way. They have significantly mm-hmm. less money than the person that started earlier, and they made double the, de- the deposits. So the point of that is, is as we talk about this, when we talk about the rate of savings is it pays to start early. Okay, The earlier you get this down and the more serious you are about it, the more it's going to impact your life later. So the next question that we had is, does age matter with regard to the, you know, to the savings? And, you know, Dave, I don't know if you want to maybe yeah. take this one, and we'll, we'll chat about this one a little bit. Well, age does matter, right, especially if um, you're, you're, you're in a position that you want to retire. We talked about that a lot, what that means. But so if I have a 30-year-old or 35-year-old or me now who's a 38-year-old um, – and I've set, started to set aside this 15 20% a year, Frank. Um, no doubt the earlier I start it, the better off that I'll be because here's what happens. The later we start, the, the thing that occurs emotionally with us is we know we're starting later. And we tend to um, want to become more aggressive. We tend to try to you know, want to catch up from the previous years. So starting early is following that that practice I talk about on the show a lot, which is hard, easy. Starting late follows that practice, usually easy, hard. And then, yeah, the later you start, you tend to allow yourself to take on more risk because you're trying to catch up and you feel that. And, you know, with that in mind is from the example that I just gave everyone is, and the tendency is, is that there's so much more pressure on you to try to save at a much higher rate to get there. In other words, if you didn't save in the early years, and when I say the early years is, you know, Dave and I see clients on a daily basis, and we'll see people that, you know, 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, 60 years old, and some people, what happens is their first opportunity sometimes to save is when they just finished paying for college. So what happens is is they didn't get to save much during the 30s. They were just, you know, starting their family, buying the houses. You know, then during the 40s, they were raising their family. They were vacationing. They were doing the things that they had to do to build a nice family life. And then they got, you know, in the college mode, which was whatever they can come up with, they were paying for college. And all of a sudden now they find themselves in their early 50s to mid-50s. And now what happens is is we've got a window of 10 years, 15 years, or 20 years. And now the pressure is really on that Mm -hmm. I have to do something. And to save a lot of money in that shorter period of time is a lot of pressure and it's it's very hard. And as Dave was saying, is that's why we're taking. You know, some people are taking a lot more risks than they should be. And Frank, you you raised children. I even I have this conversation with clients all the time. Have children start. Teach your kids. Because here's what happens. It's like we we pray before dinner at my house, 
and other kids come over and they pray with us when they're going to eat over. And Dave, and you know me, I always kid now, you're not praying that you make it through, through the, the meal, dinner. that the food was okay, <laughs> yes. right? Uh, uh, I'll leave that one alone, I was going to say, it's totally better not totally here better the show or, or else yeah. I'm in trouble, so are you. <laughs> but what what occurs, people sometimes, you know, we had a, we had a, you know, an older kid come over and he ate with us and he asked after a while, how long have you been doing that? And, and my daughter said, my whole life. So for her, it was common practice. So when you teach, it really goes back to that with the you know, rate of savings. If we teach it early, right. it's ingrained. So even through their college years, even through high school, if they got a part-time job or something, they're used to saving. Boy, when they finally get to a full-time career, it shouldn't be a problem. They should be already ingrained. But it's not, you know, for a lot of times we see it, it's, it's not ingrained early. And it, it's a discipline that has to be taught later, which is tough. You know, what's interesting is, is, you know, we do shows on stewardship and so forth, and, you know, some people think, well, stewardship all of a sudden is an event that occurs. It's not an event. It's the way that you've modeled your life, Yeah. you know, and it's, Very good. Yeah. you know, it's not, you know, so when I listen to you, Dave, when you're saying that, it's like, it's who you are, it's who you're being on a consistent basis. It's not something that we do because it's a novel idea, but you, yeah. you start early. So it was yep. a great point. Yep. So, you know, in just answering that, that question, though, is, Age definitely matters. The earlier, the better. And if you waited to save, um, then you really are going to have to apply yourself a lot more in the later years. Um, your savings rate may have to be significantly higher Correct. just to get you to you know where you have you know more of a base to draw from at the point that you start taking money out. So the next question that we have here, and I'll spend a little time on this one is what rate of return should I use for planning purposes and what should I figure for savings? And I figured since I talked the most about numbers, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll handle this one, which is uh, financial planners, and it depends on who you talk to. I've seen planners that will project money at 8%, 9%, 10%. Uh, the reality is, is that the market over long periods of time, if you own stock, have averaged close to 9 or 10 um, I would tell you that if you planned the equity side of your portfolio at maybe a, a rate of return of around 8, go a little bit more conservative. And on the bond side of your portfolio, your fixed income side, perhaps if you were planning that around 4, that may be a realistic number. What that basically means is if I have a blended portfolio, so as an example, half in stock, half in bonds, and I know the bond rates are very low right now. And by the way, last year, you know, when stocks were doing 20 and 30%, you can't project that forward as if that's going to happen every year. Um, you'd be kidding yourself. That's not how it works. But if I had half in stock and half in bonds, the blended rate of return that I may use during my growth phase may be 6%. If I was 100% in equities, which is there's very few people that are, maybe the rate that I use for planning purposes may be 8 on the other side of that is if I put 100% of my money, which is in bonds or in savings accounts, uh, perhaps I'm looking at four. And here's what the issue is with that. Between taxes and inflation, that's like uh, running on the boardwalk with 50-mile-an-hour winds in your face. Although you feel that you're working hard and you're moving, you're not going very fast. And the reason being is... If you net out taxes, so if I got a blended rate of return of, say, 6, and I'm in, you know, say, a 33% tax bracket, that's going to net down to about 4. And then I go a step further, and if I go, if inflation is 3 to 4%, I'm going to feel like I didn't get anywhere. 
That's the reason, by the way, when Dave was talking about the savings rate should be 15 to 20%. And the reason being is the savings rate is going to make the biggest impact on what we do with our portfolios. So what I tell you is, is keep that in mind. The other thing is, and this here is just a coaching point for all of our listeners, is, is that you can't do your investments based upon emotions. And when I say based upon emotion, you can't wait till all of a sudden you say, hey, the market's good, everybody's making money, I think I'll throw my money in. And then when the market is down and everybody's fearful, that's when you're running out because you're doing the exact mm-hmm. opposite of what you should be doing. What you're doing then is you're buying high and selling low. And that's not what should be occurring is, is that whatever your mix is, whatever your asset allocation, whatever your risk tolerance, that's your risk tolerance. You've got to work with that, and you have to have that and stay with it. And part of a good planner, you know, I know Dave, myself, and our firm, is really to coach you and to hold your hand when that's happening so that you're not running in and out at the wrong times, losing opportunities, and having it cost you money. So as we talk about rates of return, you know, what I tell you is, is that you know, stocks do have more volatility, but they have more potential for gain. Bonds have less volatility, but they have less opportunity for gain. And you always have to account for taxes and inflation because those will be with us for our whole life. So just as a little insight. So keep that in mind and you know, stay away from the emotional side of investing. So now we get down to our last question, which is, you know, we'll take some time on this, which is what rate can I distribute money out at without running out of money? So Dave, maybe you want to start with this? Studies in in my career, Frank, 15 years now and you're twice that, right? So yes, you've seen. I started when I was ten. Several interest rate <laughs> environments. Um, the media will tell us it's four, right? We we go to you know we we read stuff on that. Um, people that are real conservative tell you it might be more like two to two and a half, um, and people that are a little more aggressive may say it's five. Okay, what we've realized is um, there's longevity risk with with. Uh, rate of distribution, which is when I start, am I going to be able to sustain what I'm starting at for the rest of my life? And that's the unknown question. It's the old question that we ask clients from time to time, and I, I would turn out and say, so Dave, can you tell how long you're going to live? live? Yeah, no. So so obviously there's some, there's some factors in that, okay? Um, but for the most part, portfolios managed properly, you're looking at about a 4% distribution rate. So to give you know, listeners an idea what that means, for someone who's a millionaire on paper, that's a forty thousand dollar a year cash flow to them, right? In that scenario, right? And we see people like that, you know, um, all the time now. They come in and they're, how much can I expect to get out of this? But, so, David, it's a great point when you point that out. That million dollar portfolio generating, you know, taking out four percent per year, and people, you know, from time to time when we have this conversation, we'll have people and say. Well, you know, if I own some stocks and I own predominantly bonds, because once you get into retirement mode, you, your tendency is mm-hmm. you'll probably have more conservative things than you will growth, or even if you were 50-50. And they'll say, well, you know, couldn't I take more than the four? And the challenge with that is is we don't know how rates of return will come in. So if we had very high rates and good returns early on in retirement, sure, you'd be better off. However, if I started out in retirement where the equity side of what I'm doing was a bad stock market, had I been taking the higher rate out, I'd run out of money faster. So that's one of the biggest challenges. And then one of the things that's the most 
you know, relevant that we're hearing a lot about. We're seeing a lot of commercials, whether it be Prudential or Pack Life or all these, and I'm not endorsing any of these companies. Their big conversation right now is income for life. And what those are basically doing, the only industry that I'm aware of that can provide income for life is the insurance industry doing annuities, whereby, you know, we're exchanging capital for payments. And whether it's a fixed annuity or a variable annuity where my payments can have some fluctuation, they're the ones that are really dominating that market. So for a lot of people, if you don't have a set pension, the annuity may be a part of what your retirement may be. And then the distribution rate, as Dave had just mentioned before, could be that 4% or higher. So anything, Dave, you might want to add to that? Um, no, Frank, we've chatted before about the other options that, that exist in there and how you, you you get a look at it early so you can strategize when you arrive there how, how to properly distribute the money. That's not something that um, is taught. It's not very common in our practice. So for all of our listeners, as we're wrapping up our show, we wish you a truly blessed week. You've been listening to Responsible Wealth with Dave Suki and Frank Congelos. If you have any questions, you can write to us at the Institute of Responsible Wealth, 2431 Atlantic Avenue, Manasquan, New Jersey, or email us at info at com.